Our guest today and expert is Dr. Joseph Kashiani, a psychologist who has specialized in senior care for over 30 years. More important than his expertise, he brings a passion to help us to make the best of every day of our lives. Dr. Kashiani focuses on successful aging and managing setbacks along the way with stories, inspiration, and a good measure of positivity. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength to lead a vibrant life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of women over 50 around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and sustainable so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring women who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best life so that you know you're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. I am so excited to have our guest here today on the Pursue Your Spark podcast, Dr. Joseph Kashiani, a psychologist who is specialized in senior care for over 30 years. More important than his expertise, he brings a passion to help us all to make the best of our lives for the rest of our lives. Dr. Kashiani focuses on successful aging and managing setbacks along the way with stories, inspiration, and a good measure of positivity. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you very much, Heike. I'm very glad to be here. May I call you Joe? Yes, please do. That's great. I didn't, I didn't ask. I was like, you know, maybe he wants to be called Joseph. Yeah. No, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. Yeah. When we first connected, the one story that instantly resonated with me was when you talked in one of your podcasts about your starting to learn to swim. And I want you to share this with our listeners because I think it's a a great story and it's a good beginning for what's to come in the podcast today. Well, you know, I talk a lot about learning new skills and, you know, for me, successful aging means opening new doors and being willing to try out new things and, you know, get out of our comfort zone, get out of that safe, familiar place. So um, last year, we have a nice pool in our backyard here, and I've got a studio just off the pool. But last year, I contacted somebody who offers, uh, you know, swimming lessons, and he came by, and I had a dozen lessons. And, you know, frankly, I, I've swum all my life, but I've never had any formal training. I grew up in upstate New York, and we had lakes and uh, plenty of places to swim, but I did a lot of water skiing as well. So. You know, for me, learning the technique was very difficult. Um, You know, I'm at an age where I should be able to still learn. Maybe it took me a little bit longer to learn some of these skills, but I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I, you know, we really have to 
kind of give our brains some exercise and some challenge and, and take on new challenges, learn new skills, like learning a new language, you know, taking up some new hobbies. That keeps the, you know, it keeps us, it keeps us young and it keeps us, you know, I, I use this expression a lot. I probably overuse it, but opening new doors. And to me, that means getting out of those safe, familiar places and being, you know, welcoming to new opportunities that come along. So um, I'll see how the winter has uh, has affected me, <laughs> not being able to swim, but we'll be opening the pool probably in another month or so. And, I'll get back into it. Cool, because I learned swimming. I, I counted back and I told you five years ago, but it's by now eight years ago. And I had the fear of water. So to me, it was like water and hike were not friends at all. And I didn't overcome the fear. I didn't challenge myself to overcome the fear. I just wanted to learn how to swim in order to participate in a triathlon. If I couldn't swim, I couldn't do that sport. So that was my reasoning behind it. So to me, it was more like my own personal challenge. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We take on these challenges. I mean, the other the other adventure I started just a few months ago was trying to learn to play the drums. I bought myself a set of drums. These are electronic drums. They're not acoustic drums. So if you're wearing a headset, nobody else hears you, even though they're very authentic. And I've been at this about two or three months now and trying different um different types of teachers. I've been online and I've bought some CDs and, you know, a friend has been giving me some tips. So I haven't quite found the best method to learn yet, but <laughs> I do love it. And I go in after dinner, put the headset on, it can be as loud as I want and nobody else can hear it, which is, which is a good thing for the neighbors and the wife. So I would think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you used to work in uh, nursing homes and then took all your business online. Tell us about that transition. Yeah, that was a real challenge. You know, for 30 years, 30 plus years, I ran psychology group practices and we contracted with nursing homes. I hired psychologists to work for me and we contracted to provide mental health services to the residents and nursing homes. And this was a very rewarding opportunity because there are so many residents, as you know, as many of our your listeners would know, a lot of residents in nursing homes have physical decline and, um, you know, a lot of medical complications and they don't want to be in the nursing home. They'd rather be home. They, you know, have trouble losing their independence. So the psychologist is a, you know, a very important component to their adjusting and in some cases to getting better and going back home. So I sold that practice at the end of 2019 um, and decided to shift into this living, my living to 100 club. That's my, that's my new kind of new reason for focusing on seniors. It's, it, it helps me to reach the community of people who are still living at home and not just the smaller segment of the older adult population living in nursing homes. That means about 95% of seniors who are over 65 who are still in the community. And my, you know, my vision is this Living to 100 Club is a place where people can learn how to keep moving forward and how to make it over those obstacles that come along. Because we all know it's not a smooth ride for everyone, even though we hear a lot of great stories about people who are 
running marathons in their 70s and 80s and doing fantastic physical feats. That's not in the cards for everybody. And I, I recognize that. There are people who are still facing some physical decline, like chronic arthritis or you know, vision loss or hearing loss, or maybe they've fallen and they now have to rely on a walker after their hip is healed. So my you know, my approach is okay, it's a matter of how we interpret these events that happen to us. Because events happen to everybody at any age. It's a matter of how we how we explain these events to ourselves that really matters. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I mean, we're, we're all hit with stress, but it's how we react to that stress that makes a difference in how well we cope with it and how well we move on. I saw that just so many times in the nursing home. Somebody would come in after a stroke and go into speech therapy. And, you know, it was just a matter of their motivation and determination to determine how well they fared in their rehabilitation. Yeah. The outlook is is really critical. And I think that's, that affects everybody, that, <clears throat> that outlook and that <clears throat> way of interpreting, explaining these events. Yeah. How do we, um, you know, how do we say, okay, this is what's happened and I'm going to move on anyway. I'm going to move on in a wheelchair, or I'm going to move on in a walker, or I'm going to move on with hearing aids, and I'm going to continue to live my life in a positive way. That's, that's where I'm coming from. So we're living longer, as we all know. All of us, the aging population is growing, and we focus when we're aging on our mental fitness and wellness. Is there a difference between mental fitness and mental wellness, or is it actually the same? Yeah, I'm not aware of any real distinction. Like uh, fitness, you know, we extrapolate from physical fitness to mental fitness, mental wellness. Uh, frankly, I've never heard of any difference. There may be something technical, but I've I've never heard it. Yeah, with that focus, uh, I thought I'd ask you as the expert because I heard one or the other. I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Joe will tell me. Now yeah. we're talking resilience today. What is uh, describe what resilience is and what does it mean? Yeah, resilience is so important, and we're hearing a lot about that today, especially resilience following the COVID pandemic and how are people getting back on their feet. And, you know, I've always used the expression of a, a fighter who, or a boxer who gets into a boxing ring and gets knocked down. Getting back up is resilience. Mm-hmm. Getting back up. And jumping back into the boxing match is resilience. It's that it's that determination, that that fire, that resolve that we all have inside of us. And I think sometimes it gets clouded over or kind of locked away. But the resilience, that fire, it never goes out. It's like a spark that's always there. As long as we're taking a breath. That spark is always there. And I would always use that with my patients when talking about, you know, getting that determination to engage in your treatment, engage in your physical therapy. It's that resilience that makes us want to just get back and and accomplish whatever we can accomplish. And resilience today, we hear a lot about because it's, you know, we're 
know, facing the uh, recovery from this terrible scourge of the pandemic. And the resilience is going to allow us to say, yes, that was a terrible time. I may have lost some loved ones, or I know of people, or I know of healthcare workers who were just burned out completely. And that, you know, just a terrible time. But it's the resilience that says, okay, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm comfortable, I'm protected. And you need that, you need that feeling of comfort and security in order to tap into your resilience. If you're anxious, if you're depressed, you're, you're not going to connect with it. But once you feel that things are okay and I'm doing everything I need to do for myself to take care of myself, protect myself, then I can start to move back out there. And, yeah. Are there, are there different categories of resilience, different forms of resilience, like uh, no. mental resilience, for instance? Uh, no, I'm not aware of any, you know, we'd say physical resilience. I, I've never heard that expression. I've never heard that expression of physical resilience. I, I, I'm not aware of it. It's, it's just more of a, a generic term of that determination. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think maybe some people just want to break it down in bits and pieces, although it sounds like it's more the same as a, as a whole package for the person. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. It's a kind of this umbrella term that really determines how well we re-engage in, in our world. And, you know, we do have to protect ourselves sometimes. We have to recoil and, and, you know, literally kind of isolate from the pandemic and kind of pull back and make sure we're safe and protected. But once that's in place, then we can start to get back in the ring and, you know, Go another round, go another five rounds, go another 10 rounds. I know. So when you look at resilience, what would be like parts of resilience? You already touched a little bit on that, like getting out of the boxing ring. But tell me more about what that would what, what are some components that one would need in their journey of becoming more resilient? A lot of the, the prerequisites are that we have this belief. We have this confidence that we can connect, we can engage. That's that's one of the prerequisites. That that confidence that I'm not going to be, you know, knocked out by this. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's that confidence, that feeling of security and protection. Uh, I think it's kind of that decision that we make in our, you know, self-talk that says, um, this isn't going to finish me off. It, you know, we can say, is the glass half full or the glass half empty? It's that same single event. And we can interpret it in a positive way or we can interpret it in a negative way. Mm -hmm. And that style of thinking really is very powerful. It's that way we appraise these events. We call it cognitive reappraisal. How do we appraise these events? And how do we explain what, what impact they've had on us? And if, if we say, okay, here's another setback. I can't handle anymore. I'm finished. I can't, I, I just can't, can't handle. Now my hearing is worse and I, I need a cane to walk and I can't drive. It's that kind of, if you have that negative 
interpretation of events, that's going to get in the way of saying, I have the fire and determination and confidence to rebuild. I don't know any more of those, you know, kind of technical. Yeah. Uh, I think you're touching on, on a good one is like coping with with he hearing loss. Yeah. I, can, I totally can relate to that as we age because I'm deaf on one ear. So when somebody gets is getting to the point where they're hard of hearing and they miss out on conversations at dinner tables and then they get a hearing aid and things are not so good with a hearing aid. So the, the, the resilience of the how do I cope with with now I can't hear and I can so relate to this because I when I sit at a table I have to sit with everybody on my right side because I can't hear anybody on my left and uh, so these these aging as, as like you said you touched on arthritis osteoarthritis and things that limit our mobility that limit our cognitive function of the, the hearing the, the the watching the eyes and the stoop position from my perspective as a as a fitness uh, expert, I'm like, I'm dealing with Pilates posture. We need to stand up straight, even from a young age. So with that said, is being flexible or resilient is important at any age and why? Yeah, of course. Of course, it's important at any age. It's a matter of how we, how we deal with setbacks. And, you know, I'm particularly attuned to it for older adults because there are a lot of setbacks and there are a lot of things that we have to adjust to and cope with. And, you know, there's what we call emotion-focused coping and there's solution-focused coping. And emotion-focused is a lot of the negative reactions, the emotionality, the anxiety, the depression in some cases, uh, the stress. And then the solution-focused is say, okay, here's the problem. How do I deal with it? Let me think uh, clearly and let me get the emotion out of the way. The emotion's important. I'm not saying to ignore it. We have to respect the emotion, but we can't let it control us because if your emotion controls you, you wouldn't want to be in public uh, conversations because of your partial hearing loss. You can't let that emotion take over. So it's, uh, okay, this is the reality. This is what my limitations are, and I need to find some solutions to it. I need to find some aids, some technical aids, some physical aids, maybe uh, a person that needs to come in and help with certain tasks at home. So we find out what the limitations are and we take care of. Otherwise, they're considered excess deficits. You know, the person with vision loss, if he doesn't have glasses, that's an excess deficit. Why can't we fix that? If we have hearing loss, if we have chronic pain, we get some treatment for that. So we need to take care of any of those deficits that, that come along. And then again, once once you've found, you know, get back to as much of that state of um, kind of normalcy, I don't like the word normalcy, but as long as you're back in that place, then you can continue to move on. But you can't ignore that. You can't ignore the setbacks. You can't ignore the problems. You have to stop and find out what are the, some of the solutions to it. So why do we tend to ignore those problems? Well, yeah, uh, a lot of it is because we're feeling kind of helpless. What's the use? Uh, this this comes with the territory. I'm, I'm 60 years old. 
my hair is turning gray or I'm 75 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pointing yeah. to all the listeners. I'm pointing to Mike right here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a certain amount of denial because denial helps us to deal with some of the unpleasant realities. And again, unpleasant is a subjective term because it doesn't have to be unpleasant. Uh, you know, we kind of accept the positives about aging. We don't have to dwell on the negatives. But that denial is, is very powerful. And and as I worked with folks in the nursing home, denial was very rampant. You know, a person would come in on 10 medications and, you know, just a long list of different medical problems. And they didn't, they didn't want to address it. They said, no, I'm doing fine. I'm going to be going home, you know, in a few weeks when my family wants me back home. So the denial is very powerful and you can't just take it away because sometimes that's the only defense we have from some very painful, threatening, uh, you know, realities that the person cannot handle. So it's it's good, but yeah, there are other ways to deal with these. And denial is is a good defense, but there are better ways to manage and to cope. What would be one or two? Um, you know, I think sometimes when we're feeling down, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling like nothing's going right. One of the things that depression does really well is that it narrows our perspective. So all we see is what's wrong. And that's when the denial comes in, we don't wanna deal with it. And I'm saying, okay, let's, Instead of looking at only the failures or disappointments or losses, let's take that filter off. Maybe it's like blinkers that horses wear. Let's take those blinkers off and let's look at the whole picture. Let's not dwell on everything that's gone wrong. Let's find some things that are going right. Let's look at the strengths we still have. Let's look at the positives. Let's look at what I call residual strengths that are still there in the face of hey, whatever else is going wrong. And you'd be surprised that, you know, once you point out one exception to, oh, everything is wrong, one exception that maybe one small thing that's right, that's something to build on. And that's something that opens up, kind of clears the clouds away. You see a little blue sky coming through. It's that one exception that can make all the difference. So um, again, denial is a very limited, constricted way to manage these stresses or losses. But let's take away some of the, you know, some of those filters that only lets the negatives in. Let's see the whole picture, like taking the blinkers off the horse so we can see all around us. We don't just see what's straight in front of us. So that, yeah, I use that a lot with individuals who are either one extreme to the other. Everything is wrong or no, everything is great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going home. I'm going to be, I'm going to be back in, back in good shape. Mm -hmm. So there's some places in the middle where it's not one extreme to the other. So denial is, you know, like I said, it's, it's useful to a point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, when I think of, of your example, 
I have a, a clear picture of somebody that's very close to me in mind and that either sees everything all bad and then suddenly everything's all good. And, and it's like this, oh, suddenly everything is all good is so fake that you can see through it that it's this happy, like, I'm fine. This is great. I'm loving this. And in the back, I'm saying, yeah, you're not. I can tell by the way you're acting. So, and, and I think these negative thoughts also lead a lot to um, depression as, as we age as well. And we're just thinking the negatives and not see anything good. Yeah. 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 I mean, we see that all the time. I mean, we, we used to have, it's getting better, but we used to have these stereotypes, the ageist stereotypes that aging is a time of loneliness and dependency and frailty and decline. And fortunately, there's much more informed population now that aging brings with it opportunity and connection and wisdom and compassion and, you know, reaching out. So um, there are people who kind of look forward and say, gee, I, you know, I'm 55 years old. I, I can't imagine myself at 70 or 80 or 90. And to me, it's like, you know, it's, it's another chapter, right? We've got a lot of chapters in our life and it's time for a new chapter. And, you know, imagine the person who's been married 40 years and a spouse passes away. How am I ever going to function, you know, in the future? It looks too dark and too lonely. Well, it's, yeah, we grieve and we go through that loss and bereavement and we come out of it saying, I've got a new chapter to write. Mm -hmm. Or a spouse comes down with dementia and here I am now a caregiver for my wife and she was always so vital and vibrant and now i've got to help her so that's my chapter that's a new chapter it's you know i, I call it writing new scripts and you know you, the person you're talking about going from dark to overly bright i mean maybe there's a point where he or she can write a new script about what kind of character i want to be in the future because we're not defined by who we were yesterday. You know, that's the that's the beauty of all this. We're, we're not defined by what happened yesterday or last year, 20 years ago. I can start a new script. I can write a new character for myself. And it's up to me, however I want to create that character. Yeah, I mean, that sounds idyllic and sounds a little bit, you know, far out there, but there's a lot of substance to it because it just, and I had some couple of uh, Hollywood actors on uh, my podcast last year, and we talked about that very thing how important it is to understand that, you know, characters are written all the time in the movies and TV shows. And for someone who, you know, has to learn a new character, yeah, you do it for a job as an actor, but maybe you do it uh, in real life too. We learn a new character. We learn a new role. And, you know, I love the notion of writing a new script for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 the beauty is that when we do that, nobody can take it away from us. I mean, this is ours. Nobody can say, oh, you're foolish. Or your doctor can't say, oh, no, no, no. You, you know, you, 
you slow down a little bit, you're, you're, you know, you're 75. Nobody can take that away from us. That's, that's the beauty. When we find this new spirit and energy and drive, it's ours. And it's ours forever. That's the best part. Nobody can take it away from us. You said, uh, and I think in your book, uh, you could you flip the switch and you change the narrative. How do you do that? How do you yeah. flip the switch and change the narrative to build that resilience and that flexibility going forward? It is like flipping a switch. You're right. I'll tell you a story. I love this story about Steve Jobs. We all know Steve Jobs was the creator of Apple. And Steve Jobs was adopted. He found out he was adopted when he was 10 or 12, a preteen. And he was completely devastated. How could my parents, my biological parents, give me up for adoption? I must be completely worthless. I must have no value. Nobody wants me. My own parents didn't want me. Well, his adopted parents said, Steve, we adopted you as an infant because you were the most important person to us in the world. You were the most beautiful child we ever saw, and we adopted you. So that's how Steve Jobs flipped his switch. He went from being totally worthless, unlovable, to being the most important person in the world. And what happened? His adopted parents didn't give him any new skills or talents or abilities. It was Steve's mindset, Steve's definition of himself that said, okay, I'm not that worthless person. I really do have some value. And we know the story. I mean, just imagine if Steve Jobs never had that conversation with his adopted parents. No Apple, no Macintosh, no iPhone. We'd all be using Blackberries, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, what happens if people hear this cover, this story about Steve Jobs, and maybe they're able to say the same thing. Maybe I can flip that switch. It, it's not easy, of course, uh, but it's, it's writing a new self-definition. Def, self it's defining ourselves in a new way. There's an author uh, who wrote a book, Joe Dispenza. He wrote a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it's a great book because it talks about this very subject that we're kind of stuck in these old roles and we can change those roles. We can get out of those roles and put ourselves into new roles. So Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Joe Dispenza. Uh, good. We look we look that up and put it in the show notes for other listeners. So you yeah. have the links. Any links that are mentioned in the show today sure. will be in the show notes. So it's easy for you to get to Joe and find out the, about the book because I definitely want to look up that book as well. Yeah, he's got a whole series. He's actually got a following of uh, I'd say millions. I don't know, but he does workshops around the world. Man, several books. I've read read a few of his books. They're, they're really uh, kind of enlightening. They kind of break through those barriers that we, we've had for so long. I love it. Now, the Steve Jobs is a great example. Uh, yeah. What else could you have as, as an as a example so people can visualize themselves and like, you know, how do you view yourself or, or change how you live or 
or avoid uh, crisis or anything that comes to mind when it comes to resilience? Uh, what, what, yeah. would the, what would be good examples, Joe? I think there's stories you know say a lot. I, you know, the expression is the glass half full or half empty. That's a matter of perception. You know, how do we perceive ourselves at 70 years old, strong or weak? Is a glass half full or half empty? It's an eight ounce glass and four ounces of water. It's both. And you decide, right? You decide if it's half full or half empty. And I use this exercise when I give presentations to large groups. I, I break the room up into halves, right half and left half. And I say, everybody, everybody on the left half, I want you to look around the room and find everything that's wrong with it. The stains on the carpet, the marks on the walls, maybe broken blinds or windows or lights that aren't working. And the people on the right, I want you to look around and find everything that's good about the room. You know, new paint, um, sunshine coming through, plants or whatever. And then I go back and forth over and I'd ask some people from the left, tell me what you see and ask some people from the right and tell me what you see. And my point was, it's the same room. What are you looking for? Are you looking for what's wrong? Or are you looking for what's right? It's the same room. Is the glass half full or half empty? It's that mindset. Are we looking for finding something that's good? Or are we looking for finding more things that are wrong? So, you know, yeah, the, the, the point is we should focus on what's working, not dwell on what's, what's wrong. A lot of times we, we spend time fixing what's wrong. Okay, sometimes. But let's focus on what's doing right and keep doing more of that. Let's amplify what's doing right. If we're having fun doing this, let's keep doing it. Or if we're really good at that task, let's keep doing that. And let's stop trying to fix uh, what's wrong. Um, the other story I like to tell, and this is about a, a gentleman from Holland. His name was Emil Rottelbond. Emil was 69 years old and he worked in television. And he felt he was discriminated against because of his age. He said, I can't go on online and get dates. The girls or women don't are not interested because of my age. I can't get a bank loan for a new house. I can't, you know, I can't go out and buy a sports car that I really want at my age. So I want to change my age. He went to the Dutch courts and said, I want to change my age to 49. People can, people can change their name. And he said, even people now can change their gender. I should be able to change my age. So unfortunately, the Dutch courts came back and said, Mr. Mr. Rottelbond, you cannot change your age. If you change your age to 49, there's 20 years of records in, our, in the Dutch registry, and they'll all be void, and we can't do that. So you're entitled to feel however you, whatever age you want to feel. You can feel 49 if you want, but you can't change your age. So the point is, age is only a number. It doesn't matter what that number is. It's more a matter of how comfortable we are and how alive and how connected we are with our world and with our, you know, our family and friends and hobbies and passion. And that's what, that's what matters. So to me, successful aging is that engagement, nonstop engagement. There's a, a book I just finished by Twyla Tharp called Keep It Moving. She's the choreographer, you know, famous dancer, choreographer in New York. And she wrote this great book on Keep It Moving. And it's all about 
staying connected. You know, she's still teaching, and I think she's almost 80, and she still uh, creates choreographies. So it's that nonstop engagement yeah. that really keeps us moving, keeps us alive. My financial advisor the other day, well, a couple of weeks ago, but for me, it's always the other day, um, said, hey, hi, kid, you can retire in three years. And I looked at him and I'm going, I'm 63 in three years. What am I going to do with my life? And he says, oh, I don't know. I was like, probably the same as I do before because I love teaching Pilates and Pilates keeps people physically really strong, flexible and all these wonderful things. I said, I can't see myself ever stopping. So when yeah. you think, think of that motion, move, movement, motion, momentum forward, what will be three things you can share with our listeners that they can start today or tomorrow? No, no, not tomorrow. We do everything today. We're starting today to change the narrative, to change their mindset, to think about something that that's one thing in their life that they just don't like or they don't like the circumstances. What could they do to start the baby steps process? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I recommend people continue working as long as possible. I mean, not necessarily in the same job. Uh, retirement is fine if you want to leave a job. But the important thing is to stay engaged and to find a new job. There's plenty of opportunities for these private gigs now. We can do all kinds of things as a driver, as a babysitter, um, you know, doing test, test products. And there's all kinds of things. But anyway, staying engaged. And I, I think that's, that's super important. When we look at uh, people who are living longest around the world, the centenarians, some of your listeners may be familiar with the blue zones. And the blue zones are five geographic areas around the world where people, there are more centenarians than anywhere else. And these are uh, the Greek island of Icaria, Costa Rica, Loma Linda in California, Boliastro um, region in Sicily, and one more. Um, but five regions. And they've, they've identified a lot of lifestyle characteristics. And we've heard a lot about, you know, healthy diet, like plant-based food. They don't don't eat a lot of meat, alcohol, and moderation. Uh, but the big one, and I see this so many times, is uh, some kind of a passion or hobby or something that gives us real meaning and purpose. I, to me, I, I can see that. that. That's what gives us a reason to wake up in the morning and put a smile on our face and say, what's my objective today? So we need some kind of a, a passion. Maybe it's a hobby. <clears throat> you know, maybe it's a volunteer program. Maybe it's a part-time job. Maybe it's, um, you know, contributing to some community agency. But we need something in our life that gives us that kind of uh, meaning and purpose. And again, I mentioned earlier about learning, you know, learning a new language, taking courses, um, there's so many online courses now and they're free and we can go to colleges now online and we don't have to you know, register and be matriculated. We can just take some free online courses and we can learn new skills. We can you know, study new subjects that we never had time for. So you know, we have to keep opening those doors. And um, you know, it's uh, the whole notion of 
kind of, you know, it's kind of getting stuck in this single role about what, you know, what's in store for me and uh, there's nothing out there. And, you know, it's, it's, the whole point is making time for something new, getting out of that, that comfort zone because it's that challenge, it's that mental challenge and physical and social connection that really helps us, I think, live longer and live longer happier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that principle can also be applied to, uh, I also talk to uh, women uh, or people that are empty nesters. And it's almost, a, it's a very straight correlation, at least in my mind, about exactly what you said. Have a passion, find a hobby, get outside of your head. Don't be stuck in that role that, that you were in that was good or served you for a time, but now it's time to change the narrative. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, those, those places are comfortable. You know, the comfort zone is, is it's comfortable. It's safe. It's predictable. It's familiar. It's what I always knew. You know, I, I go this way to the store. I, I wear these kind of clothes. I only shop at this... So that's a familiar, it's safe and it's predictable and it keeps the anxiety down. Very but true. Also, is, you know, it narrows our, our world. Our world. So do you take a different way every time you go to the store? No, I don't go to the store. <laughs> You're delivered? <laughs> uh, my wife goes to the store. No, oh. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. we, we have a different yeah. work distribution. My husband does the grocery shopping. I hate to go to the grocery store. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, you understand, it's, it's the notion of uh, trying the unfamiliar, trying the unpredictable. Um, yeah, saying what's, you know, what's behind this, this door? What's behind that door? And we don't know until we open it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I was like, I'm an eternal optimist. I always, I, I'm like, just people are like, seriously, how can you be so optimistic? I'm like, I don't know. It's just I see the good everything and I see an opportunity everywhere and I'm willing to try almost anything within reason. Uh, I don't eat any cicada. So peeps, I'm not doing that. Mm -mm. that that's not that kind of challenge. <laughs> but I, I just so want people to feel that way. And that's why I love having you on the show to talk about this, that we're not stuck, that we're not in a crisis, that we're not done when we are over 50 or over 60, we're not done. Yeah, no, I think that's great. That eternal optimism, I, I think is great. You know, and some of us don't really know what's what's inside, how many, how many dimensions there are that are untapped. And, you know, it's that coming from a safe, usual role, that same definition, like I said, creating a new role. And, you know, I, I love the, the story about Michelangelo, you know, the painter and sculptor. And he created these, these, these sculptures that were just magnificent and, you know, created such awe. And, and people would ask him, how could you create such a beautiful statue from a block of marble? And he said, well, it's the job of the sculptor to find that person, that object, that creation inside the block of stone. And that's what I do. It's, so it's, it's like, 
how much is there inside of each of us that's that's not tapped, that's not quite refined. Maybe there's some new characters we can uncover that we didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty analysis. It's it's wide open. It's infinite. That's true. Let me ask you a couple of final final questions before we finish. What would you say, Joe, is one of your best habits? One of my best habits? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a hard worker. I mean, I am, I've been described as a locomotive, you know. <laughs> when I get set on something, nothing can detract me. Nothing can distract me. I just keep moving and I, I'm tenacious that way. I, I, I I think that's what I love about myself the most. It's that tenacity and, and perseverance. When I've got my mind set to something, I get distracted. But when I set my mind to something, I, I, I'm just like a steam locomotive that keeps on rolling. That is determination for sure. Yeah. And how can people reach you and work with you in your Living 100 Club? Perhaps get a hold of your book as well. Uh, including your social media handles. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. You know, my website is the Living to 100 Club. It's www.living to 100, T O, and the number 100, dot club, not dot com or dot org, but dot club. So if you go there, you'll see a lot of resources. I have a blog, blog uh, series that I've written. And I've got podcasts, and a recent edition is what's called uh, uh, Bounce Back from Setbacks. People can call me and connect, and we can talk about some of these physical setbacks, emotional setbacks, things that you know are keeping us stuck. And the, they're called my resilience calls, resilience with Dr. Joe. So people can go online and tap into that. It's just being offered, uh, it just came out last week, but, and there's also another option for more series of calls. The first one is just a single call, but uh, a second option is a series of six calls over three months, two calls a month. And we work on, you know, just whatever issues are, are heavy for, for the individual. My book is called Living Longer is the New Normal. I like that. It's a lot about what what I've talked about today and finding our inner drive and determination and our style of thinking that can really influence how well we cope with new challenges. It's on Amazon. Living longer is the new normal. I have a Facebook page, uh, uh, Facebook uh, slash living to 100 uh, Twitter handle. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. The LinkedIn is under my name forward slash Jay Kashiani. So I'm out there and if people want to contact me. My email is jc at living2100.club. That's my email address. I'm happy to take emails. I respond right away to inquiries or comments. So I encourage people to contact me. And if you have questions about my club, let me know. Does anybody ever call you JC? No. <laughs> I saw when you sent me your first email, I was like, I bet he's JC. He's not Joe, he's JC. <laughs> Someone did comment on that. She was using an old email address. And I said, no, Susie, you should really use JC. 
Oh, JC and I get yeah. That's pretty like you know cool. I mean, you wanna you wanna roll with the cool kids? You're JC. <laughs> yeah, I can't change it now. Oh, I could change it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. it is all good. Now, thank you so much for joining us today, yeah. Joel. This it was great. This been, a, been a blast, I Really, I uh, love uh, you know your questions. I love talking with you. I love your spirit. I love your your energy. So this is good. Thank and, you so much. And to all the listeners, this is also an, a video recording. So if you'd like to see, see Dr. Joe live in person, you will find the link in all the links that we talked about today in the show notes. Reach out to us on social media. And you know how to find me at Heike Yates everywhere on all social media platforms, except on Facebook. I'm Heike Yates. Pursue your spark. And we want to know, do you need help with anything? Do you have any questions? Comments are more than welcome. So interact with us and don't just listen or watch. Talk to us. We want to know. So with that, my friends, I am out of here and I'll see you next week on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao.